And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Mythbits. You made an excellent choice. The World of Mythbits. Hey everybody, and welcome to the World of Mythbits, episode 50. Haha, <laughs> look at that, I was prepared this week. I am your unpredictable host, Stephanie Barty, and I would like to say happy Thanksgiving to all my Canadian listeners, friends and family. Um, it is our Thanksgiving, and as I am recording this, um, I am absolutely beyond stuffed with turkey and stuffing and sweet potatoes and asparagus and what else did we have? Uh, turkey, of course, and homemade gravy. And then my husband made a family favorite called it's, it's a twist on Apple Brown Betty. And we call it Apple Brown Barty. Because <laughs> he doesn't follow a recipe. Um, so yeah, I'm sleepy. <laughs> I am overstuffed. And I won't lie, probably a little gassy. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, it was it was a good dinner and um Yeah, so it's our Thanksgiving and our Thanksgiving always happens the second Monday in October. So it the date varies. Um in 1838 Lower Canada used Thanksgiving to celebrate the end of the Lower Canada Rebellion. In 1957, Parliament fixed Thanksgiving as the second Monday in October. And the theme of Thanksgiving, of the Thanksgiving holiday, also changed each year to reflect an important event to be thankful for. So, um, ours doesn't have a specific historical significance. Um, but we have Thanksgiving. We have turkey. Some people have ham. Some people have turkey and ham. And I know I'm babbling because I was trying to find something uh, worthwhile to read to you about Canadian Thanksgiving. But um, there's well, I found a little something. So according to some historians, the first celebration of Thanksgiving in North America occurred during the 1578 voyage of Martin Frobisher from England in search of the Northwest Passage. His third voyage to the Frobisher Bay area of Baffin Island in the present Canadian territory of Nunavut set out with the intention of starting a small settlement. His fleet of 15 ships was outfitted with men, materials, and provisions. However, the loss of one of his ships through contact with ice, along with many of the building materials, was to prevent him from doing so. The expedition was plagued by ice and freak storms. Welcome to Canada which at times scattered the fleet. On meeting again at their anchorage in Frobisher Bay, uh, Maester 
Wolfall, a learned man, appointed by Her Majesty's Council to be their minister and preacher, made unto them a godly sermon, exhorting them especially to be thankful to God for their strange and miraculous deliverance in those so dangerous places. That was a quote. They celebrated communion, and the celebration of divine mystery was the first sign, scale, and confirmation of Christ's name, death, and passion ever known in all these quarters. Again, another quote. The notion of Frobisher's service being first on the continent has come into dispute as Spaniards conducted similar services in Spanish North America during the mid-16th century, decades before Frobisher's arrival. Years later, French settlers, having crossed the ocean and arrived in Canada with explorer Samuel du Champlain, and we actually have in our area um, roads named after him, and I do believe he was at St. Marie among the Hurons for a period of time. Anyway, sidetracked. Um, from 1604, also held feasts of thanks. They formed the Order of Good Cheer and held feasts with their First Nation neighbors at which food was shared. After the Seven Years' War ended in 1763, with New France handed over to the British, the citizens of Halifax held a special day of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving days were observed beginning in 1799, but did not occur every year. During and after the American Revolution, American refugees who remained loyal to Great Britain moved from the newly independent United States to Canada. They brought the customs and practices of the American Thanksgiving to Canada, such as turkey, pumpkin, and squash. Okay, so we borrowed from the Americans. Lower Canada and Upper Canada observed Thanksgiving on different dates. For example, in 1816, both celebrated Thanksgiving for, for the termination of the War of 1812 between France, the U.S., and Great Britain, with Lower Canada marking the day on May 21st and Upper Canada on June 18th, Waterloo Day. In 1838, Lower Canada used Thanksgiving to celebrate the end of the Lower Canada Rebellion. Following the rebellions, the two Canadas were merged into a united province of Canada, which observed Thanksgiving six times from 1850 to 1865. During this period, Thanksgiving was a solemn midweek celebration. The first Thanksgiving Day after Confederation was observed as a civic holiday on April 5, 1872, to celebrate the recovery of the Prince of Wales, later King Edward the Five, Six, Seven, King Edward the Seventh, from a serious illness. For many years before it was declared a national holiday in 1879, Thanksgiving was celebrated in either late October or early November. From 1879 onward, Thanksgiving Day has been observed every year, the date initially being a Thursday in November. After World War I, an amendment to the Armistice Day Act established that Armistice Day and Thanksgiving would, starting in 1921, both be celebrated on the Monday of the week in which November 11th occurred. Excuse me. Ten years later, in 1931, the two days became separate holidays, and Armitage Day was renamed Remembrance Day, which is also the day that my nephew was born. From 1931 to 1957, the date was set by proclamation, generally falling on the second Monday in October, except for 1935 when it was moved due to a general election. In 1957, Parliament fixed Thanksgiving as the second Monday in October. The theme of the Thanksgiving holiday always also changed each year to reflect an important event to be thankful for. In its early years, it was for an abundant harvest and occasionally for a special anniversary. So Thanksgiving, basically whatever you're personally thankful for.
So that's a little history on Canadian Thanksgiving, if you weren't aware. Uh, <laughs> so we're celebrating it. And Monday is a holiday. Yay! Um, but I'm a contract worker, so I work from home. So I set my own hours. So, you know, I could work tomorrow. I could work on Monday if I wanted to, or not work on Monday if I wanted to. If I work on Monday, I'm not going to get paid for the holiday either way. So, but anyway, I digress. Like I said, full of turkey. I have tryptophan brain. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And uh, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving weekend and you got to spend it with family and friends. Um, if you didn't, I hope a kind soul reached out to you or you reached out to a kind soul and at least, at the very least, shared a conversation with somebody. Um, it's also October and we are barreling towards our Halloween issue. Um, things are beginning to fill up nicely and you guys still have a few days before the deadline. Um, but, uh, yeah, things are starting to round out nicely. Categories are filling up. Um, we've had some multiple submissions from people, which I'm really excited about. Yay! And we have some new writers and, and things coming in, so... Yeah, it's going to be a good issue. So get your stuff in, people. Get it in. Get it in. I'm excited. And um, so I'm doing I'm doing a Halloween-themed-ish podcast every week up to Halloween. Up to and when is what day is Halloween on? I don't know. Pull up my calendar. Uh, so my last Halloween podcast will be on the 27th. So. I think for this week, I'm going to read something that is very near and dear to my heart. And ever since I heard it, oh, many moons ago, um, it was recounted to me, uh, well, to a group of us, actually, by an absolutely wonderful woman by the name of Nessa McNelly. Um... And she read it to us and it, it really resonated with me. It really struck a chord with me because in reality, everything is about perception and how you see things and learning to look beyond what you visually see to what the reality of what you're visually seeing could be. And this kind of does that. Now, I apologize if it offends anybody, but I'm going to read it. So. And I've posted it every year. Um, well, the year I'm reading from, it was posted 2011. So I told you how many years I've been doing this. Okay, so it's called The Halloween Witch. Now, if anybody happens to know who wrote this, shoot me an email and let me know. Because to this day, I still don't know who wrote this. Anyway, okay, so it's it's. I'll read it. I'm just going to read it. Have a drink first, because a little parched. All right. The Halloween Witch. Each year, they parade her about. The traditional Halloween Witch. Misshapen green face, stringy scraps of hair, and a toothless mouth beneath her disfigured nose. Gnarled, knobby fingers, twisted into a claw, protracting from a bent and twisted torso, 
that lurches about on wobbly legs. Most think this abject image to be the creation of a prejudiced mind or merely a Halloween caricature. I disagree. I believe this is how witches were really seen. Consider that most witches were women, were abducted in the night and smuggled into dungeons or prisons under the secrecy of darkness to present to be presented by the light of day as a confessed witch. Few, if any, saw a frightened, normal-looking woman being dragged into a secret room filled with instruments of torture to be questioned until she confessed to anything that was suggested to her and to give names or whatever to stop the questions. Crowds saw the apparition denounced to the world as a self-proclaimed witch. As the witch was paraded through the town, en route to be burned, hanged, drowned, stoned, or disposed of in various, in various other forms of Christian love, all created to free and save her soul from her depraved body. The jeering crowds viewed the results of torture, the results of hours of torture. The face, bruised and broken by countless blows, bore a hue of sickly green, the once warm and loving smile gone, replaced by a grimace of broken teeth and torn gums that leers beneath a battered, disfigured nose. The disheveled hair conceals bleeding gaps of torn scalp from whence cruel hands had torn away the lovely tresses. Broken, twisted hands clutched the wagon for support. Fractured fingers locked like groping claws to steady her broken body. All semblance of humanity gone. This is truly a demon, a bride of Satan, a witch. I revere this Halloween crone and hold her sacred above all. I honor her courage and listen to her warnings of the dark side of humanity. Each year, I shed tears of respect. Now, I know it makes reference to other forms of Christian love, and I'm not bashing anybody. Please do not think that. Um, but history does show us that the Salem Witch Trials, the Inquisition, was all done in the name of, of a twisted perverted sense of Christian love. And that's where that line is being drawn from. But you have zealots like that in any religious form, in any religious path, any faction that you choose. There are the fringe element. Um, the famous witch hunts happen to be done by Puritans and Christians and the like. So, just clarifying that. But if you think about it, I mean, that that is something, that, that whole piece really gives you something to think about, because it makes you wonder where they got the image for the traditional witch. And this is what these women would look like after hours and hours and hours of torture. And I've seen up close and personal some of the tools that were used during the witch trials and during the Inquisition the thumb screws, the rack, the things that they used to um, test to see if she was a witch, the long needles that they would use to poke their skin. Um, through those trials is where we got the expression cold as a witch's teeth because they, the belief was that a witch did not love and therefore could not nurture a child. So if you were to pierce her breast with a 
sharp needle, nothing, no milk would come out. Not realizing until later in scientific anatomy that that's not how things work. Anyway, um, so it makes you wonder if that's where they got the original appearance of the traditional witch is this broken, bruised, beaten shell of a woman with dirt-covered fingers, broken nails missing, and scratches and bruises, and terrified beyond belief, uh, being led to her death, even after she was told if she confessed she would be saved, thinking that her body, her physical body, would be saved, not realizing that it was only her soul that was going to be saved, but her physical body was going to be extinguished. So, it makes you wonder. makes you think. Anyway, okay, so that's enough of the doom and gloom for today. So, last week we also started into um, 50 of the spookiest urban legends from every state. And I think we ended off with, um, oh, right here. Okay. I think this is where we, we ended off. Hawaii. Yes, we did. We ended off with Hawaii. Pali, Hawaii. All right. So Pili, the Hawaiian volcano goddess, had many myths attached to her name. One tells of her ill-fated union with the demigod Kamapuas, who was half pig, half human. The two supernatural beings had a terrible breakup, agreeing to never see each other again. That's why, as urban legend has it, if you carry pork with you when you travel over the Pali Highway in Aua, your car will come to an ex- inexplicable halt. So next time you're in your area, in the area, we advise sticking to the chicken. And now we are in Idaho, the water babies of Massacre Rock. Okay. So the urban legend is about starvation and infanticide. So if you're squeamish, you may want to skip ahead. Yeah, you can skip ahead. When famine hit the local area of Pocatella, mothers resorted to drowning their babies in the rivers instead of letting them starve to death. It is said that those babies turned into fish-like imps whose new mission was to trick or even murder people. That's kind of creepy. Um, now we're moving to Illinois, Bachelor's Grove Cemetery. Now, being a paranormal investigator, I have to tell you, a lot of cemeteries are not haunted because the spirit isn't going to hang around where the body is laid to rest. It's either going to be with loved ones or it's going to be at the scene of where they died or someplace special. Just my two cents. Anyway. Okay. So where were we again? Bachelor's Grove Cemetery in Illinois. Often referred to as one of the most haunted graveyards in America, the 82-plot cemetery is known as the home of many phantom sightings, from a ghostly white lady to an ephemeral white farmhouse. People who have visited the site have seen numerous inexplicable illusions. Off to Indiana, 100 Steps Cemetery. Now, after I've told you that cemeteries aren't haunted, we've done two in a row now. You visit this cemetery in the town of Brazil and climb the 100 steps in the total darkness of night. Legend has it, you'll see the ghost of the original caretaker appear before you on the top of the hill. 
he will give you a preview of what your own death will look like. I think I'm going to skip those stairs. I don't think I want to know how I'm going to die. No, I don't think I want to know. Okay, off to Iowa, Stony Hollow Road. Now, that's another thing. that Last week I was talking about how um, each town has urban legends pertaining to the area. It's the same with roads. Every, almost every place you go, if you ask the townsfolk, they'll tell you, oh yeah, that road is haunted, or yes, that stretch of, of highway is creepy stuff happening, or um, in our, where I live, there's a lot of um, concessions and side roads and rural route roads because I live in cottage country surrounded by farm country. So there are many roads that in our area that have strange occurrences that happen. Um, but we're going to get into that next week. I just, yeah, I have some ideas now for next week. Um, delving into the strange and unusual. So, okay. Anyway, um, as the saying goes, a woman scorned is not someone you want to mess with. Lucinda of the town of Burlington is no different. Legend says that when her fiancé failed to meet her there as promised one night, she threw herself off the bluffs along Stony Hollow Road. Ever since, her ghost has appeared to countless people. What's worse is that if she leaves a rose at your feet, you are destined to die within 24 hours. Or so the story goes. Kansas, Molly's Hollow. I'm also getting the gist of stay away from anything that, you know, says hollow. The urban legend of Molly's Hollow speaks to the United States racist history. As the legend goes, when the local townsfolk found out that Molly, an African-American woman, was involved with a white man, she was lynched. People claim her spirit is still there, screaming at night. Hmm. Kentucky, Hogan's Fountain. In Cherokee Park you will find Hogan's Fountain, which features a statue of Pan, the pastoral yet devious Greek god. At every full moon, some versions say every night at midnight, the figure of Pan wanders the park, causing mischief for passers-by. Louisiana, the Carter Brothers. Back in the early 1930s, a young woman escaped from the home of the Carter Brothers in New Orleans, with slash marks on her wrist. She told the police that the brothers were feeding off of her blood. The cops stormed the French Quarter residence where they found more young women in similar states, their blood draining out of their bodies. The brothers, now thought to be vampires, were captured and executed, only for it to be discovered years later that their crypts were empty. Want more blood-sucking tales? Read up on these true vampire legends. Maine. Seguin Island Lighthouse. Seguin, I'm not even sure how to pronounce that. Like many urban legends, the one in Maine has to do with isolation. As legend has it, in the 1800s, the caretaker of the Seguin Island Lighthouse and his wife were the only two people living on the tiny spit of land. They naturally grew increasingly bored and isolated. The caretaker brought a piano so his wife could play to keep them both entertained but she only knew one song. The insufferable repetition of the same tune 
combined with the severe sense of isolation, drove the husband mad. He took an axe, chopped the piano and his wife into bits, and then killed himself. Or so the story goes. Maryland, Big Liz and the Greenbrier Swamp. During the Civil War, Big Liz, a very large woman, was a slave who became a spy for the Union troops. But her espionage was found out by her master, who decided to exact revenge. As the urban legend goes, he took Big Liz to Greenbrier Swamp so she could help him bury a treasure. Big Liz dug the hole and was subsequently decapitated by her evil master, who threw her body into the grave she had just unwittingly dug for herself. It is said that if you travel to that spot during the dead of night, you will see her spirit there attempting to lure you into the murky swamp. Ooh, I think we'll avoid there too. All right, let's see. Grab your passports. Well, if you're Canadian, where are we off to now? Massachusetts, the ghost of Sheriff George Corwin. When you think of haunted locales in the United States, Salem is no doubt one of the top places that comes to mind. A key character in the Salem Witch Trials, Sheriff Corwin was the most infamous and brutal when it came to interrogating and handling accused witches, earning himself the nickname The Strangler for his torturous methods. Think back to what I read to you. A building called the Joshua Ward House now stands on top of the land where Corwin lived and died, and many people say that they've seen him in the windows or even felt his hands pressing down around their necks when, they, when they're inside the space. See, Salem is a place I want to go. But I don't want to go... See, I want to go to a lot of places... We'll talk about that after. The Nain Rouge. This is one of the urban legends still recognized today. It is celebrated by the people of Detroit every year. They say that there is a devilish creature known as the Nain Rouge, French for Red Dwarf, who causes mayhem in the city. He is thought to be seen when disaster is about to strike, and it is even said to be the reason for the Cadillac Company's downfall in the city. Oh. <gasps> Minnesota, the Wendigo. The Wendigo, or Wendigo, depending on how you want to pronounce it, is a creature of Native American folklore that is thought to be the result of cannibalism. A person will turn into a wendigo, a fang-bearing creature that is tall, skeletal, and hairy, if they resort to eating another human being. Will you fall prey to the glowing eyes and snake-like tongue of the wendigo? Off to Mississippi, the Witch of Yazoo. While living on the Yazoo River, an old woman allegedly lured boatmen to their deaths with her magic. One day, the local sheriff chased her into a swamp, and she was drowned in quicksand. And as she drowned in quicksand, she put a curse upon the town. In twenty years, she said, she would return to set the city aflame. Eerily, in 1904, the city was hit with a massive fire, believed to be the work of the witch. The next day, when people went to visit her grave at the Glenwood Cemetery, they saw that the chain links around her grave had been broken. Or so the urban legend goes. Missouri, the Landers Theater. The Landers Theater in Springfield is supposedly beyond haunted. From fires to stabbings to accidental deaths, this theater has seen it all. Locals and performers have alleged that they've seen the ghosts of the people believed to have perished there, including the janitor 
that was said to have died during a 1920s fire. Mm. Montana, haunting of Chico Hot Springs Hotel. The mysterious Lady in White supposedly roams the corridors of the Chico Hot Springs Hotel in prey, scaring guests and staff members. People have reportedly seen the ghost of a woman in white many times leading them into room 349, only to find an empty rocking chair swaying back and forth. Her rocking chair is sometimes found in other rooms as well, always facing the window, no matter the position the last person left it in. Mm. Nebraska, the Hatchet House. The legend of the Hatchet House of, of Portal reminds us of those scary ghost stories we used to tell each other at camp. As the legend goes, a school teacher from long ago went insane and decapitated all of her students in the one-room schoolhouse. Afterwards, she placed her head, their heads on their respective desks and took all of their hearts to a nearby bridge. She threw the organs into the water and people say you can still hear the hearts beating if you cross it. Hence its name, Heartbeat Bridge. I dare you to try it. Nevada. Ah, yes, Nevada. The Aliens at Area 51. Publicly known as the place where the military tests out some of its most advanced weapons and technology, conspiracy theorists suspect it's also where the U.S. government stashes the UFOs it doesn't want us knowing about. And that is all I can tell you about Area 51 because everything else is suspicion and conjecture. So is that. New Hampshire, the legend of Chokorua. Mount Chokorua was named after a Native American chief who lived in the early 1700s. Legend has it that he left his son with the Campbell family while he went away on tribal business. While under the family's care, his son died, perhaps accidentally, perhaps not. To exact revenge, Chief Chokorua killed the white man's wife and children. Then the surviving Campbell chased Chokorua to the top of a mountain and shot him dead, but not before the chief had placed a terrible curse upon the land. It is said that the land, now known as Chokorua Lake Conservancy, will inflict suffering and death to anyone who tries to live there or drink from its rivers. Don't drink the water. Do not drink the water. New Jersey. The Ghost Boy of Clinton Road. Oh, I'm surprised they didn't talk about the New Jersey Devil. The ghost of a young boy is said to reside beneath one of the bridges on this road in Passaic County in northern New Jersey. As the legend goes, he's quite helpful, not to mention honest. If you drop a coin into the water, he will return it to you within 24 hours. It has become a rite of passage for local teens to go test it out. It'd be interesting to talk to some of those local teens and see if, you know, I would drop a marked coin, like something specific that you can say, yes, it's got a big, hot, pink dot on it. I dropped that over the bridge. You watched me. It's on tape. Here it is. It's back. Because there's always ways of testing these urban legends. Okay, so New Mexico. UFO crash at Roswell. In 1947, something big, really, really big, crashed onto a ranch northwest of Roswell. Members of the U.S. military quickly came to retrieve the debris, which led to some led some to believe that it was something they wanted to cover up. A UFO, perhaps? Adding to the mystery, 
Jesse Marcel Jr., son of one of the military officers charged with clearing the site, later described the debris he saw his father bring home as being made of lead foil with I-beams. According to Roswell UFO Museum, he recalled the writing on the I-beams as purple, strange, never saw anything like it, different geometric shapes, leaves, and circles. The U.S. government maintains it was a weather balloon that crashed. Always a weather balloon or a gas leak. New York. Ah, here we are, the legend of Cropsey. Staten Island's Cropsey has been a local legend for decades and gained national attention when the documentary of the same name was released. The story goes that Cropsey had a hook for a hand and was a patient at the Willowbrook State School. He would come out late at night to hunt and chase local kids with his hook. In truth, a series of child murders did take place in the area of Staten Island in the 1970s and 80s. Eerie. North Carolina, the Beast of Blendenboro. Many regions in the United States have their own urban legends of a story about a mutant creature in the woods who kills viciously and indiscriminately. In North Carolina, it's the Beast of Blendenboro, described by locals as a panther-like bloodthirsty killer lurking in the darkness. It is said to have attacked numerous dogs and even people, so watch your back. Uh, North Dakota. Why can't legends have names that are easy to pronounce? You know, like like the dingo or the big fuzzy bunny with sharp teeth. North Dakota. The Mini Washitu. The Mini Washitu. Sounds like a dog. Next time you're on the banks of the Missouri River in North Dakota, keep an eye out for the Mini Washitu of North Dakota. A giant, red, hairy monster with sharp spikes along its back, a horn, and only one eye. If you look at it, blindness, insanity, and death are said to soon follow. So on second thought, don't keep an eye out for it. Highly something that you would not miss, that's for sure. Ohio, Gore Orphanage. In the 1800s, there was a deadly fire at the aptly named Gore Orphanage in Lorain County. Tragically, every single orphan in the institution perished. Locals say if you visit the site where the orphanage stood, you can still see the ghosts of the dead children, hear them playing, or smell their burning flesh. Oh, I'd rather hear them playing. That would be much nicer than smelling them. Ew, yes. Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Shaman's Portal. Also called Oklahoma's Bermuda Triangle, People have allegedly disappeared into thin air upon setting foot in these dunes in beaver sands. It's believed that a UFO crashed there, opening a door to another world. I'm hearing X-Files music playing in my head. Oregon, the bandaged man. The bandaged man. The ghost of a man who is reportedly chopped into bits at a sawmill terrifies Oregon residents to this day. They call him the bandaged man because, well... His entire body is wrapped in bloody bandages. Mostly, he is said to attack people who drive through or park their cars in Cannon Beach. So stay away from Cannon Beach. Pennsylvania, Eastern State Penitentiary. Now, this is actually on um, many lists of places that are most haunted. Numerous paranormal shows on TV have done investigations at Eastern State Penitentiary. Um, there's been documentaries on Eastern State Penitentiary and the paranormal activity in 
Eastern State Penitentiary. And yes, Eastern State Penitentiary is on my bucket list. Anyway, the Eastern State Penitentiary of Pennsylvania is a real place that was shut down due to its exceptional cruelty towards inmates. Each cell and chamber had its own set of hauntings and terrible tales, and walking through it, it is supposed to feel like walking through the pit of hell itself. If you're the type who likes to experience the macabre, you can take a tour on Halloween. You must sign a liability waiver before entering, though. Aha! Uh-huh. Anything that you have to sign a liability waiver before you do, you might want to think twice about. Um, off to Rhode Island. Fingernail Freddy. <laughs> if that sounds familiar, it's because the Rhode Island legend of Fingernail Freddy... Oh, man! <sighs> okay. Let's start this again. As a shiver goes down my spine. <sighs> if this sounds familiar, it's because the Rhode Island legend of Fingernail Freddy is supposedly the inspiration for The Nightmare on Elm Street. In this version, Fingernail Freddy is a wild woodsman with insanely long fingernails who comes out at night to attack campers with his talons. Yeah. No. 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 I'll pass. Thank you. No, no. South Carolina. The legend of Lavinia Fisher. I know this one. Known as America's first female serial killer, Lavinia Fisher was certainly not dainty about her kills. In the 1800s, she and her husband, John, ran an inn, where they had the unfortunate habit of killing off many of their guests. They would poison the guests, then when the poor person had fallen asleep, drop them down a trap door. One victim managed to escape, and and the two were found out, resulting in their execution. People say that the ghost of Lavinia Fisher haunts the Charleston jail where she was executed. Now, Interesting fact about Lavinia Fisher, as she was standing on the platform, about to be hanged, they asked her, as they do with everybody, do you have any final words? Her final words were, um, oh, 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 it was right there, I just had it, um, I'll say hi to the devil, or something to that effect. And when a paranormal investigation team went in, and they were running a piece of their equipment, and they asked her, what were your final words? She, The, the machine actually repeated what she had said. Or, I'll tell the devil hello, or something like that. Yeah, but it was really, it was really kind of creepy, her final words. Like she was full-on evil. And she ran that that whole thing. She was the serial killer. Her husband was just one of those dudes that followed along with everything that she said. I mean, he was crazy too, and he was just as culpable as she was, but she wore the pants in that relationship. Okay, we are now off to South Dakota and Walking Sam. Walking Sam of South Dakota is a bit like the notorious figure from the Slender Man video games. An unnaturally tall, skinny, and creepy character. Those who cross his path are inducted, induced to commit suicide. And his favorite prey is young teens. Ooh. Tennessee, skinned Tom. That doesn't sound appealing. 
As the story goes, in the 1920s, a young man named Tom once took his lady friend to the local lover's lane. He didn't know it, but the woman he was so enamored with was, in fact, married. Her husband found the two canoodling in their car, murdered the wife, and then skinned Tom alive. People say Tom still hangs around Lover's Lane, ready to kill those who dare to commit adultery. That could be a lesson to you. Texas. The Lachuza. Okay. In South Texas, after you've had a beer or two, you'll need to be on the lookout for the Lachuza. Depending on the version being told, this incredibly large owl is either a bruja, which is a witch, or a familiar or a familiar woman by or a familiar woman by day, a bird by night. Her child was killed by a drunk, so she is on the prowl looking to take revenge on bar patrons stumbling out on the streets after closing time. So leave before closing time. Utah, the curse of the Escalante Petrified Forest. Uh, ask me why I did that with an accent. I have no idea. Visitors to the Escalante Petrified Forest in the Black Hills of Utah are cautioned to leave what they find behind. Legend has it that anyone who takes so much as a rock or a piece of wood will suffer intense misfortune. Car accidents, broken bones, and even job losses are said to have befallen those who dare to ignore the warning. I'm not going to test that because my luck isn't the greatest to begin with. Off to Vermont we go. We're not going skiing. We are going to the Brattleboro Retreat Tower. Built as part of an insane asylum in the late 1800s, the Brattleboro Retreat Tower was soon closed off after a number of patients supposedly committed suicide by flinging themselves from the top. The tower remains standing today, and people say that if you dare visit it, you will see ghosts plunging to their deaths over and over again, like an old tape replaying itself. And we're going to get into that next week, too. The difference between an actual haunting and residual hauntings and stuff like that. Because, you know, it's all about the scary stuff from now to Halloween. Virginia, Bunny Man Bridge. As the story goes, in 1904... Some of the most dangerous patients from an insane asylum in Clifton, Virginia, were being moved to a prison when the bus, bus crashed in Fairfax Station Bridge. The inmates attempted an escape, but only one was successful. He left a trail of death. Of, bleh, he left a trail of dead-skinned, half-eaten rabbits hanging many from the bridge that was the scene of the crash. Then, on Halloween night of that very same year, several teens hanging out under the bridge were attacked at the stroke of midnight, midnight and met the same fate as the bunnies. Washington. Maltby's 13 Steps to Hell. I think I'm only going to take 12. In Maltby's Cemetery in Maltby, you'll find a set of 13 steps leading down into an underground crypt. Legend has it that anyone who makes the regrettable decision of climbing down those steps will be met with a vision of hell so terrifying it will drive them to insanity. Oh, hey, I could take all 13 steps. I'm already insane. Ooh, West Virginia. Yay, the Mothman. Yes, this is the same Mothman from the movie The Mothman Prophecies. The final scene of that movie is a retelling of a take on an event that actually happened in 1967. The silver bridge that connects Point Pleasant, West Virginia, with Galapolis, Ohio, 
collapsed at the height of rush hour, killing 46 people. According to legend, it was the Mothman, the great bringer of death, who caused the accident. Wisconsin, the bloody headstone at Riverside Cemetery. A local woman by the name of Kate Blood, fitting, right, is said to have killed her husband and three children, after which she committed suicide. Her headstone at Riverside Cemetery in Appleton allegedly drips blood every full moon, though if you do visit, a glance at her headstone will quickly debunk the legend. She was outlived by her husband and her only child. Wyoming. Oh, the jackalope. A large bunny creature with antelope horns is a well-known character in Wyoming's culture, history, and landscape. Some people say they have most definitely seen it, while others shrug it off as a fairy tale. What do you think? And that is our urban legends from 50 of the spookiest urban legends from every state. And yeah, I think I may have missed two. I thought there was 52 states, but you know, I'm Canadian. What do I know? (laughs) So there you go. There's um, a little Halloween story for you to think on and, and maybe cause you to see things differently. And the other 25 of the 50 that we started last week. And I think I am going to end this here. Um, and bid you all again a happy Thanksgiving. And we will chat with you all next week. Don't forget to get your submissions in. Oh, excuse me. You can go to www.theworldofmyth.com and check out our submission guidelines. You can send your story, drabble, poetry, artwork to stephaniebarty at theworldofmyth.com. You can find us on Facebook at The World of Myth Magazine or The World of Myth Bits Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at The World of Myth Magazine or The World of Myth Bits Podcast. You can find me all over the place. I am on Facebook as author Stephanie Barty, on Twitter as Lupa B, and Instagram as Stephanie Barty Author. So I hope you guys all have a great week, and it's a short week for us Canadians. Also, this past week was um, Mental Health Week, National Mental Health Week in Canada. So let's talk. All right, everybody, have a good week, and see ya. The world of myth bitch.